0: Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. I want to kind of share with you there's something new today. We've been doing normally a Wednesday morning service and because we can't meet together as we normally do, instead of picking up in a middle book and and going on Facebook, I decided really to start a a new book. And I thought uh, really for what we're going through right now, the Gospel of Matthew would really be the best and I'll explain that as we go through. So let me open with prayer. Father, thank you for your grace, your love that is so sufficient. Thank you that you're with us now, Lord, and that you will guide us, you will instruct us, your your spirit will illuminate the truths that we need to know, to encourage us, to build us up, to help us see the big picture, that you are in control of all things. So Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name amen. We're going to be looking this morning at the, the Gospel of Matthew, and a title simply comes from really the text, the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus, really the, the King of Kings, and really that's what the book of Matthew is about, is it presents Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. But before we start, I, I really want to focus on what are the gospels the the term gospel really was used first in the roman empire um, as an imperial proclamation the good news the deeds of caesar where they would give a a pinch of incense and say caesar is is god but the new testament is taking on a new thing the good news is not caesar the good news is Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. And, and that's what the book of Mark says in one. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. Well, the Gospels, therefore, tell a story, the story about Jesus Christ, the things he did and the things he taught, his life and his words. Jesus again and again proclaimed the coming of God's kingdom. God's promises to His people in the Old Testament are now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The most important thing that you and I can do is, is really focus upon Jesus. The Scripture is clear. We're to lock our eyes upon the the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, again, when we look at the Gospels and we're going to focus on, on Matthew, uh, we see there's one story, the story of Jesus. And All of the Gospels have similar stories. In fact, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they they tell just simply the story of Jesus Christ, Jesus' life, and work from four different related perspectives. Well, there's four Gospels instead of just one. Many people ask, well, each one has a unique theme, and we don't often think about it. Well, I love John, the Gospel of John 1st, because John focuses really differently than the other three. It focuses on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but he's God in the flesh. He's God the Creator. And there are miracles that are done in John that are only done in John. And there are I Am statements, seven of them, that only God could claim as the miracles only God could do. In fact, as John ends that book, he says there were so many miracles done. There are not even enough books in the world to contain everything that Jesus did while He was on earth. Well, He proclaimed that God the Father had sent His own beloved Son into the world. You remember John 3.16. John's Gospel demonstrated that Jesus was the Christ again and again. The Anointed One, the Son of God. And His primary focus in that book is the last seven days of Jesus' life. But Matthew and Mark and Luke, these are called the synoptic Gospels. They reveal similar and related events, but different in each way. See, Mark presents Jesus as the servant, and if you stop and think that more than half of the Roman Empire itself was slaves, servants, And Mark presents him as a servant, and that's so sweet because in Mark 10.45, notice what it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give life, give his life for the ransom of many. So Mark speaks again to the the servant. They they can relate to it easy. Luke then is different altogether because Luke was, to the Greek mind, the, the Hellenist, Luke wrote in a very simple way, in a chronological, comprehensive way, the very unique life of Jesus Christ to strengthen the faith of the believers. And that was the Gentile believers primarily, as well as to stimulate their faith in the unbelievers. Luke 1, 3 and 4 makes it very clear why he wrote it. In fact, he appeals in this book to the the Greek mind, the perfect mind, the perfect man. In fact, when you think the Greek statues and everything, they're always showing the body in a, a perfect way. Well, he presents Jesus Christ as the perfect man who come to save the lost. Let me read Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is really the author's reason for writing it. Luke said, It seemed fitting for me as well as having investigated everything very carefully from the beginning to write it out to you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. You know, that's interesting because a lot of people, they hear somebody say something and maybe negative about Jesus or he really didn't live or he wasn't raised from the grave. They will never investigate it themselves. Luke investigated, laid the evidence out that you could examine and see if it's so. There's a book that's written, again, it's evidence that demands a verdict. Another man was seeking to prove, again, the Bible's wrong, that Jesus wasn't the Son of God. And when he was done, he wrote this book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. See, the Bible, again and again, proves itself. But today, we begin with the book of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus uniquely as the King of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. Matthew was the the most explicit of all the Gospel writers alerting again that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. In fact, there's more prophecies in the book of Matthew than there is in Mark and, and Luke and John because his goal is to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the King of Kings. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. And He's come to save the lost. Well, today we begin with really the genealogy of Jesus. Now in the Bible, there's two genealogies really of Jesus. There's the one that's in the book of Matthew and the the book of Luke. Matthew's genealogy emphasizes the the Christ-royal lineage. Luke, on the other hand, writes and focuses on really the biological lineage. In both cases, his roots are very quite interesting when you look at it. If you stop and think maybe in your own life there's some black sheep in your life, There's some people that you really don't want to admit. There's some people that did some dishonest things, some corrupt things, some immoral things. I believe almost in every family lineage somewhere. And even in the King of Kings, and this is so wonderful, we see it in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and we see His grace available to each and every person. Grace. Unmerited favor. Well, Abraham and David are two of the big names that we find in Israel history. And neither one of those men were perfect. Abraham, he struggled many times to, to trust God. David was guilty of adultery and in murder. And so God's purposes embrace the, the Gentiles, the Abraham, who was from Babylon. And again, in the Jews, the famous nobodies, you have Perez and, and Salmon. Again, you you find all of these people in the Bible with what would be called shady backgrounds. There's Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And then there's Mary that we'll get to. But we'll be looking at each and every one of them. So let's look together at the genealogy of Jesus. Verse 1 begins, the record of the genealogy of the Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the first thing I want to call your attention to is, is the word Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one, the one that is called, the one who's set apart. It, it speaks uh, in the Hebrew equivalent is, is really the Christ. He is the Messiah. It's interchangeable through the New Testament in reference to Jesus. Now, the name Jesus it speaks of uh, Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. Now, again the the common transliteration would be Joshua. It was a common name, and it's important to understand that names sometimes a person was introduced a certain way and for example, if I were um in the Bible and my lineage was there, I would be uh Ron Brav, the son of Herman Lester Brav, and they would carry it from generation to generation in the Old Testament. But when you come to the New Testament, those things will change, and you'll see that again. And again, identifying that family lineage. The lineage was very, very important. Now, Christians, therefore, felt it was ne- necessary uh, differentiating uh, that Jesus was the same name. Uh, they did this as part of uh, appending the titles of the Messiah. And Jesus was the Christ. And they would use Jesus' name or Jesus the Messiah. They worshiped Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Now, this origin of the Messiah, the the concept, it's ancient. It was a promise given to David. If you think back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 14, and repeated in Psalm 7, in Psalm 2 and verse 7, and, and then in Psalm 89 and verse 3 and 4, and Psalm 19 and 20 and 22 and 23, and you'll find it clearly. He's the coming Messiah to the earth had been anticipated from the very, very beginning. Now, in the early days of human history, God had chosen one family, and that's important to understand. One family, and the seed through which the whole earth would be blessed was through the seed of Abraham. Now, in the book of Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham and that through his seed, the entire world would be blessed. Paul would later say that the word God used was seed, singular, not seeds. The seed was Jesus Christ. He was the one who would bring the blessing to the entire world. See, the blessing of Jesus Christ is available to each and every person no matter where they are in this world. God is available to all. Notice Genesis 12.3. It says, And I will bless those who bless you And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then later on, uh, uh, on the family, within a larger Abrahamic family, the name King David shows up to be the family in which, again, the son would make an entrance into this world. Now, in 2 Samuel 7.14, David has this davidic covenant made by god the promise that one day there would be one who would sit on his throne for all eternity it would never end Well, look again in verse 2 of our text that's matthew 1 verse 2 we see the name abraham abraham was the father of isaac and isaac the father of jacob and jacob the father of judah and his brothers now Although the Ishmaelites and others, and many of the the Arabs at times, claim a descent to Abraham, Jewish people customarily apply the children of Abraham to the Jewish people. That means the Jewish people are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the promise was given to Abraham, then given to Isaac, and then given to Jacob and passed on. And this is where the Messiah would come from. Now the title, the the son of Abraham, applies not just to Abraham, was the father of the the national Israel, but it also speaks of Jesus, the founder of a, a spiritual Israel, and to all that would trust in him. Notice with me in Galatians 3, 7, it says this, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, we never become Israel, that is, the church, but we become related through our faith. We're believers in Jesus Christ. Now, Abraham was regarded both of us as the first Jew and also a proselyte because he came from a cult. They worshiped again Uh, the gods, the moon god, the sun god, and various other gods. Well, again, when God called him out of Ur of Chaldees, he became a believer in the true and living God. Look with me in verse 3. We see Judah, who was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron. And Hezron was the father of Ram. Now, it's interesting because it lists two names here, Perez and Zerah. They're both mentioned because they were probably twins. And then there's the name Tamar. Ancient genealogies often omit her. omit her because she's a woman. But Jewish hearers would be expected that if Matthew included any woman at all, it certainly it would be Sarah or Rebecca or Leah, but not, again, Tamar. Tamar. It's interesting because she slept with Judah. And again, there's a story you'll have to read in uh, Genesis 38. In this genealogy, God has included four women. Well, again, as I mentioned, Tamar, a Canaanite woman, to seduce her own father-in-law because her, again, her husband had died. And again, was given another husband, and he died. And you can read the whole story, but she gave twins and the father was Judah. Let me read Genesis thirty-eight eighteen. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal, your cord, your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived to him. Not knowing it was his own daughter-in-law. He had deceived her. He had tricked her. And in the end, she tricked him. Again, we see that shady background and look with me in verse 4. We see Ram, the father of Aminadab and Aminadab, the father of Nashon and Nashon, the father of Salmon and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. We see another woman and Boaz was the the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse. Now, Rahab, you find in verse 5, was both a Gentile and she was also a prostitute. And Though she was not an Israelite, she hid Israelite spies. Again, when they came to Jericho and and her family was saved and she was brought into the family, the family of Israel, adopted into that family. And it's interesting is when you're reading that text and you go on in, in that book and it's contrasted that she trusted and believed in God and acknowledged he was God and wanted to do the right thing and the next thing you come in the book of Joshua after Rahab is, is this man Achan, Achan of Judah who hid the loot under his tent and he died and his whole family was killed and you could read that again in, in the book of Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 6 And but the real text is in chapter 7 verses 1 through 26. Already in the book of Joshua, then, God used Raham to show that he valued loyalty to his covenant more than an ethnic background. What God wants from you today is loyalty and faithfulness. That's what God looks for. And then there's Ruth, as I mentioned in verse 5. She was a Moabite, she was a worshiper of idols in Ruth 1 3. It says, Moabites were not allowed to become Israelites. But God had welcomed Ruth in because she had followed him. Let me read the classic verse, Ruth 1.16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. And she chose to follow the true and living God. But you know what? It was the the witness, the power. She saw God in their lives. And she became a direct ancestor to the King David. Look in verse 6. We see the name Jesse. Jesse was the father of, of David the king. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise to raise up a king from David's line. See, Jesus is seen as that king of kings legally allowed to be. Now, David was also the the father of Solomon and by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. And if you remember Bathsheba, another one again in verse 6, you see Uriah's wife who committed adultery with David. Bathsheba may have been of Judah, but her name indicates she was connected to the Hittite family. Solomon, in verse 7, was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. In First Chronicles 3.10, we see now Solomon's son was Rehoboam, and Abijah was his son, and Asa his son, and Jehoshaphat his son. Now, the, the Greek text, Asa, is literally... Asaph. And there, there's this little debate whether it was Asaph, again, of the Psalms, or it was just a coincidence. To the Jewish people, there are no coincidences at all. God is in sovereign control. But Matthew's focus really is on the ancestry line of, of David and bringing us to the Messiah. Look at verse 8: Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, and at that time, the deportation to Babylon. It's in verses 7-11. If a person would study the history of each of these, they would find it, it really demonstrates God's grace is not inherited, but is given as God wills, as God sovereignly chooses to. Look at the name, for example, of Jeconiah. Jeconiah whose sins caused God to, to cut off the seed from ever sitting on the throne of David, yet God had promised David, or never a want, of the man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel in Jeremiah thirty-three seventeen, thus Jeconiah's royal line of descendants is listed here to show the the legal right of Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, to the throne of David. That you find that in Matthew 1, 16. even though neither Joseph nor any of Jeconiah's seed ever had the spiritual right to sit on the throne. See the the right was carried through Mary's ancestry. You find that in the book of Luke. Well, Look at verse 12. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of she- Sheetal. And Sheetal the father of Zerubbabel. Now again, although God judged Jeconiah, God restored the descendants Zerubbabel to that leadership. And that's what we find. Look with me in verse 13. We see rubble, the father of Abiab, and Abiab the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Hazor, and Hazor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok, again, of Hazor, and Hazor, the father of Eliab, and Eliab, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, but whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Now the Israelite genealogies oftentimes skip several generations, and in fact thus in Matthew we see the list only has eleven generations from exile and before Joseph where Luke shows twenty. Because Mary was a virgin, she was she became pregnant. And and it shows again Matthew's list, Joseph only the husband of Mary, not the father of Jesus. The unusual way is in which it, the final entry is phrased underscores the fact that Jesus was not Joseph's literal offspring. And we know he was the son of God, the scripture makes clear. The genealogy nonetheless establishes this claim as the throne of David, as Joseph's legal heir, because it was always under the man at that point. And when 70 AD, when Jerusalem is destroyed, everything went under the woman's genealogy, and no way to trace back the Messiah at that point. Matthew's genealogy is, is of Joseph and Jesus' father in the eyes of the law. Luke gives Mary's genealogy. Well, look at verse 17 with me. So, all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation. To Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Notice that Jesus' genealogy is filled with imperfect people. Jacob, in, in verse 2, was a deceiver. And David had committed adultery and murder. And Solomon took, again, the abundance of wives and concubines and Mass, uh, Manasseh. It was one of Judah's most wicked kings. And he's in the genealogy. And Tamar, a Kenah who posed as a prostitute. And Rahab, who was a prostitute. And Ruth was a Moabite, was despised. Again, another observation about Jesus' genealogies that's mixed both Jews and Gentiles, indicating that Jesus' kingdom identify rules with races of all people, all cultures, all nationalities. All of this points to the fact that God's sovereign grace. See, he accomplished this glorious purpose in spite of the difficult circumstances, the character that people are involved in. God works in spite of you and me because he's God, he's sovereign. In this book, we're going to see that Matthew is going to present again and again The miracles will point to the fact these were miracles that God did. They were messianic miracles that we'll see back in Isaiah pointed to that Jesus fills one prophecy after another. And God is wanting to use you and me today. The choice is yours. Will you believe and trust in Jesus? Will you allow Him to use you? Will you just simply say, God, use me. Get in the Word. Let the Word get in you and realize it's the best place to be. Father, thank you for this time in the Word. Thank you uh, as we begin to look at this genealogy and and recognize that this is only the very beginning and the most exciting things are going to come when Jesus is born and and we see there in chapter 1 the genealogy and then we'll see the birth of the King and the baptism of the King and the words of the King and the temptation of the King. And, and it just goes on and on. And Lord, we're excited that we can look at this book and just really focus upon Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. The One who went away. says, I go and prepare a place for you. If it's not so, I wouldn't have told you. And He's coming for you and me, every believer who's in Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless you today.